tonight's scripture is going to be from Luke 2, 22-35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, holy, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parrots brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alicia. Um, this is one of those passages that's like so clear, it's like, why am I even preaching on it, you know? That's a joke. It's not clear. It's weird. Uh, yeah, it's, there's so much in here that, depending on who you are and what your background is, is so unfamiliar and so strange. And uh, this is one of those weeks where the Lord has given me something to say. It's not the shape of a, a normal sermon, so we're just going to see what happens. This is the great experiment, and um, this is another chapter. So here we go. I'm going to pray for us. Father, um, Lord, we are yours. We are yours completely, uh, whether we know it or not, and whether we are excited about, about that or not, um, it is true, and it's, it's a really good thing. You, you love us so deeply. You care for us so deeply. Our sin has just blinded us and twisted our thinking in ways where we are running from the very thing that we need the most. And so, Lord, would you come and make our crooked lives straight through your word, uh, through this time of worship and prayer. And, and Lord, as, as I preach your word, Lord, would you speak through me and speak to me as well? Um, don't leave me out of this. Lord, would we be different because of how you have met us tonight? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our series that we're in now, um, it's called Singing the Story, and we're we're talking about singing the story of Advent. Advent uh, is a term that just means coming. And uh, we Christians celebrate the coming of Jesus in his birth. Um, that's what Christmas is all about. And so most people are familiar with that. But we also talk about how we are a people who are um, waiting on the second advent of Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus to return, to make all things new, to make all things right. And so this is where we find ourselves. We're awaiting people. And, uh, and so each week we've taken a very familiar Christmas song, if you've grown up in the church or even probably live in America and you hear these songs all the time. Um, and this week our song is God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. And uh, I was thinking this week about, I have a friend who has been diagnosed, she's young, she's younger than I am, and she's been diagnosed with cancer. 
and she's been walking through cancer treatment. They said it's very treatable, and so that's good news, but she's had to go through like eight rounds of chemo, and she's in the middle of that right now, and um, it's really good news, but it's also really excruciating to walk through that good news. And that's kind of where we're going tonight. This song, other than, um, like, whenever I hear the phrase, God rest you, married gentlemen, I think of, like, Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol and a bunch of people in top hats. But um, it's really more applicable than when you, when you dig under a little bit. Um, the song has this beautiful message of rest and peace. Hey, you can rest, if, especially if you're a, a happy gentleman. But um, you can rest and don't let anything bring dismay to you. Um, because you need to remember your Savior. Jesus was born. Your Savior's here. You can rest. Don't let anything bring dismay. There's good news. Good news of comfort for you. Good news of joy for you. And though, um, another line of the song, which is also very true, is he came to save us all from Satan's power. We were enslaved to Satan. Like, don't miss that in the song. He came to save us all from Satan's power because we have all gone astray. And so just like my friend who's walking through the healing process of chemo and and the other treatments that she's having to experience that are excruciating, um, shouldn't we expect, if we have been in bondage to slavery to Satan, that the healing process of this good news of comfort and joy might be uncomfortable? That our comfort might actually be uncomfortable? And what we need the most may be very painful? And so that's where we're going tonight. And it's this idea that, um, you know, again, these passages, we're talking about waiting, waiting on God. We're waiting for Jesus' advent. And tonight we're looking at this man, Simeon, who was waiting Um, And this waiting is active and it's relational. And this waiting leads us to peace. It strengthens us. It transforms us. But the the pathway to this peace, the pathway to this transformation um, is is painful. And so, uh, again, there's a lot going on here. This may feel like a a 200-level sermon, but I'm just praying that the Lord is going to bless this and, uh, and bless y'all with this. So a little intro, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just so y'all know what's going on, this is the 40th day after Jesus was born. Uh, there's something in the law for God's people where um, anytime you're around blood or birth, you are unclean. And so the 40th day from the birth of a male child, it says that the there's a, a sacrifice, there's a service that you have to walk through, a ceremony for the mom and anyone else who's been involved in that. So in this case, Joseph was a part of that too as he helped Mary deliver the baby. Um, all the people around the, the blood and the birth had to be made clean again so that they could come back and worship God in the temple. So that's going on. And then there's this other sacrifice that happens. Uh, if you're familiar with the Passover, as God saved his people from Egypt And uh, his last plague that he sends on Egypt is he kills all of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And he saves his people by um, killing a lamb, a male lamb, and putting the blood on the doorframe. And so God's uh, angel destroyer would pass over uh, the families, all the the people of uh, God, and so that their firstborn would not die. And so, uh, but this was something that God said for his people. They were to keep this in remembrance for the rest of their days. And so, any uh, livestock that you owned, any firstborn male, anytime a male opens the womb, uh, 
that male animal is put to death and sacrificed to the Lord. And because he wants us so badly to remember the Passover and what he's done for us. Um, and for the first male to open a womb of his people, um, he doesn't thankfully want those firstborn males to die because I wouldn't be standing here right now if that were true. Um, but he says you have to redeem those males by sacrificing an animal. And so they were there to redeem Jesus because he was the firstborn male to break, to open Mary's womb. And so we'll come back and talk about that a little bit uh, later on. But I really want to focus on Simeon. And so the first place we're going to hang out is just what's happening in this waiting. We talked a a little bit about this last week when we talked about Anna's life, but um, this waiting on God is, is this powerful thing that is a pathway to open the door to a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so here in this passage, you see Simeon, um, and he's described as a, a man who was righteous and devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Righteous and devout just means that he had a very active and living faith. He really took his relationship with God seriously, and it was seriously from the heart, not just going through these outward motions of, of keeping the law and keeping ceremonies and keeping up appearances. Um, and what does it mean that he was waiting on the consolation of Israel? We talked about that a little bit last week, but it's just this idea that God had promised to his people, I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring a savior. I'm going to bring a redeemer. I'm going to bring somebody who's going to come and make everything right. There's this tension all throughout the Old Testament with God's people of God saying, I'm a holy, holy, holy God. I cannot be in relationship, I cannot be united with sin. And yet here, another truth is that my people are very sinful. And yet here is another truth that I've covenanted to be with my people forever. And so there's this tension throughout all the prophets of the Old Testament. How do these things fit together? How is God not gonna stand for the sin of his people but be with his people and save his people forever? It was this tension that nobody knew how it was gonna be resolved. And so Simeon is somebody who's waiting. He's putting all of his hope. He's putting all of his chips in on God's coming salvation. And so what does this mean? What does this look like? Well, you have to remember this too. Simeon's life is lived on the tail end of 400 years of absolute silence from God. So God made all these promises through the prophets. And then a lot of crazy things happened with his people. They were taken over. They were dispersed. And then there was just silence. God had made all these promises about how he was going to save his people, and then for 400 years, there was just no movement. And so here's Simeon, born into this world where God has been silent for 300 and something years, and he is coming back to God all the time with these promises that he has in hand that we see in the prophets of what God says he's going to do. And so he is coming to God and saying, you said you would do this. You said you would send a Savior, and I'm praying for you to send the Savior. I'm giving you where I am right now. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my experiences, my pain, my suffering, and I'm asking you to make good on these promises because you're God. You're holy. You tell the truth. You will never leave your people. And so please, please come and fulfill this promise. And so this life that he is living, um, it's, it's prayer and worshiping and listening and pouring out your heart and waiting and hoping and longing And this type of life where you're waiting and you're engaged with God like this on a regular basis, meditating on his word, listening for him in silence, letting him speak, bringing him everything you've got, claiming these promises as your own, this is a pathway 
for God to give you a deep relationship with him through his Holy Spirit. And you see this in Simeon's life here. A little bit of what this looks like to have a relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. It says here that the Holy Spirit spoke to Simeon personally. Simeon was not, it, this was not all prophecy to be shared and to be made scripture. This was just personal relationship with God and his son Simeon. It said that the Holy Spirit told him that, hey, don't worry, you're not going to see death until you see this Savior in the flesh. And that was a promise just for him. There was this sweet relationship where, where he had communion with God uh, through his Holy Spirit. It also says here that the Holy Spirit led him at the exact time that Jesus was being presented at the temple. He led him to the temple so that he could meet Jesus, so that God could keep that promise to him. And so it, it describes here, too, that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And uh, for us to understand, throughout the Old Testament, God's Spirit would dwell upon certain people, but it was very few and far between. Um, one place we saw this a lot was when Israel, when God's people had kings, uh, they would be anointed and then God's Spirit would dwell on them. Uh, Saul was the first king, things went poorly, but God's spirit dwelt on Saul and then at some point God's spirit was removed and then with David it says my spirit is going to come and dwell upon you and it will never leave you and so Simeon is one of these people too that experiences life with the presence of the Holy Spirit in a very special way because that's not something that was happening for all of God's people back then uh, but here's something really cool that time was like if you think about the Hoover Dam and like there's this crack in the dam and there's just little drips of water coming out all the time. That's sort of like what it was in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. Of se Several of God's people were experiencing this life, but now it's like after Jesus' resurrection and the day of Pentecost, that's what we celebrate, is just the dam bursts. And this prophecy is fulfilled now in Jesus. Joel 2, 28 and 29 says, It shall come about after this that I shall pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, it's not just going to be kings. It's going to be every single person who is one of my people. I will pour out my spirit in those days. So here's something really amazing that some of y'all are living in and some of y'all have, have never even thought about this as a possibility. That what, what we are reading about Simeon experiencing here, at a minimum, that is our experience now in Christ with, with God's Holy Spirit. That he dwells in us. He is living. He is active. Um, Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Ephesians 1.13 says that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, he's not going anywhere. All of God's people, everyone who believes in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14 talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this idea of a personal relationship with God where you are speaking and you are listening and there is movement. There's something going on. There's a relationship happening here. In Acts, we hear about the Holy Spirit speaking to individual people, speaking to entire congregations, um, so there's this vibrant relationship with God that is cultivated through our waiting and through our putting our hope and our lives being bent around this hope in Jesus' second coming and God fulfilling all of his promises that he's made to his people.
And so that's the first place I want to pause and just say this is, this is an invitation. There is no shame. There is no um, nothing here, but it's very important for us of, of people who are following God, people who are in Christ, um, that God intends us to have a rich relationship with him. And so if that's not something that you've ever experienced, um, begin to ask him for that. Begin to talk to people uh, in your life who know something of that and, and just say, Lord, I don't really know what that looks like um, because none of us do, right? None of us do until we start walking. And the Lord is so good and so kind, he's gonna lead us. He's gonna show us. He's gonna show us how to wait. He's gonna show us how to listen. He's gonna show us how to engage with him. Um, so I would just invite us to continue to ask the Lord to open our eyes and teach us. What does it look like to have the kind of relationship that you've given us? How do we, how do we live into that? And so what happens is we have this relationship with the Lord as he strengthens us. He strengthens us with peace in the midst of pain. Um, all of a sudden, our circumstances don't, don't impact our lives as much as they have in the past. Um, Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written, written down in former days, Scripture, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That was the life that Simeon was living. He was having hope because of what was written down before him, and he was living into that hope as he waited. Um, when he saw baby Jesus, he saw the Lord's salvation. And it was like the language that's used here is like, a watchman being relieved from duty. He was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and when he sees Mary and Joseph bringing baby Jesus and the Holy Spirit saying, that's him. That's the one that you've been waiting on. It's like just this flood of relief. And listen to what he says. You are now letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, I don't care what happens from here forward in my life? I've just seen all I've needed to see. This is evidence to me. All of these promises have not been fulfilled yet in this baby sitting here right now. My life experience does not currently reflect all of the fulfillment of your good promises to us. But man, this is strong evidence that you are going to fulfill those promises and you are no longer silent. And so now I can live in peace regardless of what happens to me when I walk out of the temple today. And I can die tomorrow. Or I could live 20 more years and have a, a bunch of terrible things happen to me. It doesn't matter. Because now I can depart in peace. You have given me peace because you've made very clear to me that you are going to fulfill all of these promises to me and to the rest of your people. Think about the kind of peace that Simeon is experiencing here. A peace that is dependent upon how things are going is not peace. It is very fragile, it is very fleeting. And if you haven't lived long enough yet, you will one day see that um, if that's how you define peace, that all your circumstances are okay, you will rarely experience peace. And when you do, it'll probably last for a few hours or maybe a few days. And Jesus makes it really clear that he has come to bring peace. My people will have my peace. 
So he's talking about a much deeper peace. In John 16, 33, Jesus tells his disciples as he's about to go to the cross, um, I'm going to tell you these things so that you'll have peace. And, th- and then he says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You will. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. So expect suffering. Expect there not to be circumstantial peace, but know that I've overcome all of this and I will make it all right. I will heal every broken thing. And that's how you can have peace, is to live into that reality. It's like World War II, um, for y'all, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I'm pretty sure I have this correct. But the Battle of the Bulge was effectively the, the battle that ended World War II. And yet there were many other skirmishes that played out in the, in the weeks following that battle. But when the Allied forces won the Battle of the Bulge, the war was over. The, the Axis powers were broken, and it was just a matter of time. But there was still a lot of blood to be shed on battlefields around the world after that battle was over. And that's kind of like where we find ourselves now. Is the, the war is over. Like, Satan has been defeated. Jesus is victorious. He will return in victory, and we will have our ticker tape parade and victory march. Um, But we live in this in-between time between when the war is effectively over and when Jesus is returning. And there will be suffering. There will be uh, circumstantial unrest. But he has come to bring us a peace that none of that stuff can touch. And so, just to stop here and think, what practically in your life brings unrest? And then to think also what practically in your life brings peace. How do you experience peace? How have you experienced peace? If you were to describe to me what peace feels like, how do you get to that place? And, uh, The last thing I want to talk about where we're going to hang out for a little bit is um, that this peace that Jesus brings that's unshakable comes through pain. Simeon tells Mary, it's it's really kind of interesting that it says he blesses Mary. (laughs) He proceeds to tell her something that doesn't sound at all like a blessing, right? These last verses of our chapter or of our uh, scripture. It says, um, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce through your own heart as well. And Mary's like, thank you for that, that blessing. Um, what does this mean? It, it, this is kind of confusing. So um, what does it mean that behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel? Isaiah 8, 14 and 15 says about this Redeemer who will come, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and rock of stumbling and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. And here's what this means. It means that when Jesus comes, when this Redeemer comes to set everything right and to conquer death and to deal with sin, for some he will be a sanctuary. He will be the first foundational cornerstone laid on this sanctuary where you and I can run in and find sanctuary. We can find peace. We can find rest in 
this Redeemer. For others, it will be like a stone that appears in their field that they don't want anything to do with, and they are trying to kick it back out of their field, and when they do, the stone doesn't move. It actually breaks them, and they stumble, and they fall. And so the difference here is pride and humility. When this Redeemer comes, who is the Lord, will I run to him or will I run away from him? Or will I try to run him out of my life when he begins to do his redemptive work that maybe feels like what it feels like to be on the path of healing with cancer? And it's not always fun. It also says that he's a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What does this mean? Um, It just means that he is going to be a shining light. Like when you turn on a light in a dark room and it reveals what's there, there are a lot of people that don't want the light to be turned on. And there are a lot of people who do. Say, thank you for turning on the light. Now I can see. Now I can know what's right and what's good. And other people are like, no, let's keep that light off because I'm over here doing this thing that I know is not good. And uh, I don't really want you in my room right now. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 3, 19 and 21, where he says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. It's like... um, I just think now in our cultural moment where um, tolerance is, is like this huge cultural value, and I just think about uh, people who appear to be so even keel and so like, man, it's just a good dude, or whoever, whatever we say about people who are just so nice. And then I've been a part of conversations, maybe y'all have too, where um, Jesus comes up and then things start to change really fast. <laughs> And then all of a sudden there's a, uh, there's a change that comes over the person because that's, that's this scripture being fulfilled. It's that, you know, it's really easy to have a facade that we put up to make people think a certain way about us, but when we're confronted with the truth, um, then that facade melts away and the thoughts of our hearts are revealed. And Simeon says to Mary, this is not something that's just going to go on out there. This is also something that's going to go on in here too. Um, That reality and that need to have our thoughts revealed, to have the light come on, is not just for people who don't know Jesus. Um, That's for us who are in Christ too. Um, He is still working out his good purposes in us. Uh, This sword that knifes through our soul um, that brings deep emotional pain is is like a surgeon's tool that is for our healing. Um, Simeon certainly was talking to Mary about a very specific kind of pain that she was going to experience as well as the mother of this Jesus who she was going to watch be misunderstood and suffer and die throughout the course of his life. Um, But he's also talking about the pain that all of us are going to feel in this chapter in the story of following Jesus and being God's people. It's in effect Simeon saying, hey, um, I lived in a time when God was silent And now there's a new time coming. And now with the Redeemer here, um, there's going to be a new kind of pain as he does a new kind of good work. And so now we're going to experience this pain. And uh, I experienced that pain this week. Um, I experienced that pain all the time, but I had a 
a disagreement with Lee and the Lord just was revealing a sinful pattern in the way that I related to her this week. And um, in the moment, it's very painful. But then when I reflect on it and come to him about this, um, it's very life-giving because he's actually freeing me from this sin that is keeping me in bondage. He's saying, no, 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 I've, I've died to purchase you and purchase your freedom. And I'm not gonna allow you to live in this anymore because um, I have something better for you. And it's, it's being in the light. It's being in this light that is revealing what's really there. Um, this is what the Lord is doing. It is so painful, but it is so good. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And you hear that and you're like, man, that just doesn't sound very fun. And that doesn't sound like good news. And that sounds really scary and intimidating. But then we look at the cross and we look at the whole reason that Jesus was brought to the temple this day in the first place. Because this sign that that they had for all these years of like, hey, the firstborn male that opens the womb, he has to be redeemed. And I want you to think about the Passover. God's just wanted his people to constantly think about the Passover. And on this day, um, the thing that that sign was pointing to is being fulfilled. The, The male who is opening the womb of Mary, who is being redeemed, is the redeemer. That the whole Passover story was reflecting in the first place. Is that this lamb is not gonna take away any sin, but there is blood that will be shed for my people and if they are covered by that blood my wrath will pass over them because my wrath has fallen on Jesus the Lord never invites us into any pain that he is not willing himself to first walk through and so Jesus is saying you never have to fear the light that reveals the intentions and thoughts of your heart because that light is only there to bring you freedom and bring you peace and bring you healing and if you will let loose of your pride, then you can run into this sanctuary. If you can't let loose of your pride and your reputation and your image and this really fragile ego that that you have that you have to live in this false reality that you're a certain way when you're really not, um, then he's gonna be the stone of stumbling for you. You're gonna try as hard as you can to live in the dark and keep him out so that you can keep up appearances and it's gonna break you. But if you will humble yourselves and say, I'm not God, he is, and he actually, I believe that he wants what's best for me and that he loves me and that he's walked through this pain all the way to death, I can trust him, then he becomes a sanctuary for us. And anytime the light comes on that reveals the thoughts and intentions of my heart, it's, it's with a loving father who says, hey, come with me, I love you. I wanna give you the good gift of setting you free from all of this stuff. You know, he said to me this week, hey, I love you and I want to give you a more intimate marriage with Lee where you don't hurt her because of your sin. I want to root this stuff out of your garden so it can grow beautiful things. That's the God that we serve. You know, it talks about this sword piercing through our hearts. Think about this God that we serve, Jesus himself, who is God, experienced this in just the most excruciating way form imaginable as a sword literally pierced through his physical body but also the sword pierced through his soul where he was separated from his father 
for our sake and he's just bleeding and crying out. But he is also so glad to be there because he knows what this means. He knows that this means the salvation of his sons and daughters, his brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters of God. So what does this mean for us as Midtown West? It means that we're a people who are increasingly aware that our life, our hope, our peace, our transformation is coming from learning how to wait with God in his presence. It means that we are a people who are increasingly less afraid of this sword and this light shining into our lives and we actually begin to welcome it in all of its forms. And it means that we long to be that light in the lives of others who are lost and who aren't home yet. We become increasingly self-forgetful as, as we have an increasing love for those who are separated from their Heavenly Father like we were. And we want to move out into their lives to bring them home. So we're going we're gonna to take a few minutes here and um, just have some silent reflection. And if, if you need a prompt, uh, if you don't need a prompt, you can just spend some time with the Lord and ask Him uh, what He wants you to be thinking about from tonight, what He's trying to say to you. But if you need a prompt, just spend some time doing what, what may be foreign to a lot of us, just waiting, waiting in Jesus' presence for His return.